You're listening to the Communicate with Confidence podcast with me, your host, Luke Maxwell. This podcast is dedicated to helping you build confidence, increase your communication skills, and journey with me in the relentless pursuit of what you need most in life. In this episode number 133, I have Cynthia Lovely on the podcast today. She's born and raised in San Diego. She has over 20 years of experience in nonprofit and youth development fields, making it her mission to help create and launch innovative social change organizations in her hometown. After successfully launching over seven new nonprofit organizations and programs in San Diego, yes, seven, as a consultant to founding members, Cynthia has learned the harsh realities of human trafficking in San Diego, and now with a passion for human rights, coupled with her vast experience, she successfully launched Shine San Diego in June of last year with an advisory team, including the former CEO of Nestle. Uh, that's really cool. And working together, her volunteer-driven agency is on a mission to create economic pathways of success for survivors through entrepreneurship, mentorship, and grassroots leadership. It's awesome to have you on the show, Cynthia. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Luke, for having me. A great introduction. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you you did all the work. I just read the words. Um, you're the one who did all those wow, things. Wow, she sounds amazing. <laughs> well, and you are amazing. So I will say, like, there's always a reason that I have a guest on my podcast, and there's always a very specific reason, um, a unique reason for each one. And the fact is, when I first met you, it was at a networking group. I heard what you did. And immediately I thought about this. I'm like, and I realized like what emotions I was feeling is that I saw passion paired with thoughtfulness and skill. And I loved that pairing because you obviously have like just by your, just by your resume, you have, obviously you have a passion uh, for doing good in the world, but you Mm. also give a lot of thought. You obviously have a lot of skill in what you're doing um, by replicating and keep on doing what you're doing. So that's why I've just really, I, I, I told myself, I'm like, I messaged you. I'm like, Hey, you want to be on my podcast? I really want you on. <laughs> um, yes. and so I want to back up first because no success story starts in year 20. It starts in year zero. And so like on your journey now becoming, you know, the co-founder and CEO of shine, um, when did you first become interested in nonprofits? Because that's a a kind of a unique thing uh, for somebody. So like, what was that first moment where you're like, I really like nonprofits. I really want to build one. Yeah, great question. So I had actually found myself at UNLV in Las Vegas okay. <laughs> for my freshman year of college. Um, and I had gone for computer programming. I was an MIS Ooh. major. So okay. there I was in my <laughs> management information systems courses. And I took an intro to social work as an elective. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time that I had this like spark where I just in your belly, right? This Mm -hmm. fire that lights. And you're like, I want to learn more about this. Actually ended up switching my major. And um, yeah, I was like, within a year, I had completely switched over to be a social work major um, and decided that that was where I was going to go with my education. And, you know, just through a course of events, I ended up coming back to San Diego and graduating Mm -hmm. from San Diego State. But um it's been an interesting journey because it's not, it, there's nonprofit interests and there's social work, right? Mm-hmm. And yes. so <laughs> nonprofit management actually came later than when I graduated. I'm not sure that those courses were offered back then. Right. <laughs> um, I'm kind of dating myself here, but um, I graduated in 1999. Mm-hmm. So um, Prince was a big deal that year, the song 1999. Mm-hmm. And okay. I don't think we had a lot of, you know, nonprofit management or those type of courses offered mm-hmm. how to start up a nonprofit. And um, that's really found me along the way. That awesome. journey. That's, that's inc- moving from computer science to social work. That's a fantastic <laughs> switch. I wonder, like, did you, did you have to like, did you have to explain yourself like to your parents or like to different people be like, no, this, this is actually what I wanted. Like, did you have a, like a concrete reason to like really explain like why you wanted to make that switch? Um, great question. You know, looking back, I don't think I did. I think I, you know, you're young and you are exploring college and Mm -hmm. I I was cutting, you know, the deal of like, this is what the parents want. This is what I'm I'm really good at math. And, you know, it Mm -hmm. just seemed natural to go into back then. Um, 
But I think luckily my parents let me explore and let me kind of try on different hats. And so Mm -hmm. they saw those first two years of college as figuring out what is it that you want to do. And I just was really clear that that was what I was, I was going to save the world. There was going to be no more suffering of children on the planet. Mm -hmm. And and when, and when parents hear their kids say, I want to change the world, they go, that's nice. And then you went out and you did it. (laughs) You know, like that's, that's what a power move, you know, to go, I want to do this. And then everyone go, yeah, that's, that's really, that's cute. That's nice. You know, get a real job. And then you're like, no, I'm actually going to make this happen. And to your credit, you, you're making it happen right now. Um, your first nonprofit experience, what, what was that like? Did you, like, tell me kind of the highs and the lows and, like, the questioning, like, did you, did you all question, like, is this actually what I want or did you fall in love immediately? Yeah, I think I, I was really, I was designed for this work. Um, and what they do in college is you get, you get kind of these internships. So they, mm-hmm. you know, test the waters and I ended up in foster care services, oh, wow. um, and treatment level foster care right oh. at the foster care reform movement that was happening. Mm-hmm. So it was really interesting timing mm-hmm. because I uh, say California was, giving out a lot of money to look at the transitional foster youth. Mm -hmm. And here I was working with foster youth in in group homes, high-level group homes, and I was training um, parents to become certified foster parents for Mm -hmm. treatment-level kids. And I mean, I think the only moment where I thought maybe this isn't for me was when the little boy outside was playing basketball and like shot the ball at my head, not because he didn't mean to. (laughs) He was just, you know, having like a – a moment because right. we had to put the ball away. And I think what it taught me early on was that not to take things personally, but had to toughen up a bit, mm-hmm. that this wasn't going to be, you know, a walk yep. in the park. I was going to yep. be dealing with some really um, difficult um, environments. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was young. I was 23, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, and I was working with, um, ended up working with teenagers, right? 16 to 23 year olds coming out of foster care which, you this know, gave me a rough. run for my money. Yeah. yeah funny story. <laughs> I liked doing it so much. Um, I was, I was basically volunteering to mm-hmm. launch a new program that had been funded. That was okay. an employment training program okay. at Access Inc. And we called it the YES program, Youth Employment Services. Mm-hmm. And we had a case manager who's still one of my longtime friends. And mm-hmm. I was volunteering as the person that was going to put together the curriculum of what we were going to teach for employment, resumes and interview skills and all mm-hmm. that. And um, they ended up hiring me, luckily, to get <laughs> <the> job. <laughs> But I remember being in this class and, you know, I've got six foster teens in there and this one kid just kept interrupting me and he kept, you know, trying to tell me like Mm -hmm. how it was and how I didn't know much. And I remember just being like, all right, cool. Then you teach. (laughs) (laughs) Like, and that actually births like the whole idea of like, wow, maybe I'm not the one, the leadership is, is allowing those others to lead, allowing and giving them opportunities to stand up and lead yeah. and to teach and to, you know, and I, he was yeah. doing a great job of teaching me how little I knew. <laughs> yep. So that's, that really did give birth to, to a lot of the program designs that I've been, um, able to to launch since then is really Uh, about empowering those impacted by the issue to be the leaders of change exactly yeah and i know just like (laughs) and it's funny like you literally took your hard knocks um physically um and then and then you learned you know you got into the into the the business um but yeah i mean i've been working with teens enough to know that they're smart like they're really intelligent and if you give and if you give them the permission to exercise that intelligence and cre- and unbridled creativity because they're not as jaded, you know, as us as we get older and older in this world and as we get into business and as we're like managing people and we get pretty jaded about, you know, people and things and, and situations, but they have, they're just so much intelligence, and creativity. And yeah, you did you, like, you gave them the permission and then you're like, okay, I want to learn something from you. And I've, I've just seen that work so well. So I just love, I'm, I, I love that you have, you've embodied that as well. Because that's a huge, that's something I'm very passionate about is letting teenagers um, teach us and exercise. And while at the same time being, you know, the adult in the room. 
and, yes. uh, and, 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 and doing that. So, um, I want to, I want to go throughout, you know, your career, um, in nonprofits because I, I mean, it fascinates me because nonprofits are difficult. Um, they're not, they break, all, they break a lot of, you know, the traditional business, um, um, you know, teachings, a lot of the, a lot of things that were taught in business school kind of, you know, follow over nonprofits, but not always. And I kind of want to go like through your history is that, um, I love exemplifying the highlights and, and, and the falls, right? Cause we, um, my friend, my friend, Devin, my now, my now business partner, he says, we either, we either, um, we either win or we learn. And those are the only two options. And so I wanted to kind of get into a point where you learned is that um, has there been like an event, a project, um, some kind of uh, of some, something you've been working on, especially in the nonprofit space that just hasn't gone well, that either it failed badly or it just went against expectations and kind of how did you use that to improve later on? Oh, so you asked me where <laughs> I see what you did there. My learning moments. Yes. <laughs> Oh, there have been a lot. Right. Um, and I like what, what your business partner said, you know, that it is either a win or a learn because we do really take those those pieces of knowledge and apply them later. And so it was mm -hmm. earlier on, it was the first nonprofit that I wrote um, and launched from the ground up mm -hmm. called Foster Youth Incentive or FYI, oh. that I learned a lot about what not to do. Okay. <laughs> Um, and where I start with people now is your guiding principles and mm -hmm. the guiding principles are important for an organization because they're going to, you're going to be reminded of those on difficult decision days. Mm -hmm. And we had received funding, um, for juvenile probation youth, which weren't the youth that we were working with. We were okay. foster youth incentive, that kind of oh. thing mm -hmm. where I was learning early on that, like, you've got to really stay true to your mission and vision. Mm -hmm. And that if you receive funding from a source, they are invested in their own successful outcomes. So you're giving up a piece of your control or a piece of your vision. Right. And so maybe you don't always want to say yes <laughs> to mm -hmm. large sums of money, which has been hard for people in startup to understand. <laughs> yes. Um, and Ben is such a golden um, lesson for me along the way. And, you know, we're, I'll probably come back to the economics in this conversation a few oh, times. Oh, we will. Don't worry Because about that. it's so much of what I do is around that. And nonprofits are set up, you know, differently. But the financial piece has been huge, you know, because mm -hmm. from launch, what I do is I meet with somebody in their living room mm -hmm. and they have an idea. And then three years later, we're fully operational with a half a million dollar operating budget providing services. And I come in and I lay in the structure, all of the mm -hmm. policy and procedure, how you're going to enroll people, how you're going to hire people. Like mm -hmm. I, I'm the person that kind of like is the wizard that makes those mm -hmm. structures come together. And so I've gotten streamlined and had to learn some hard lessons again, like writing policies that have been used against me. Like one time I got the 30 day I wrote this policy. <laughs> um, and that lesson was more around when you start something with somebody and it's their vision and they're the lead, mm -hmm. you kind of think three years in, like you've got a little bit of clout. But you realize at that point when the structure is settled and they have the operating budget and they have the people that can run it, that you need to, I need, I needed to then take a back seat mm -hmm. and either decide if I was going to play these other roles or if I was going to exit gracefully. Mm -hmm. But I would stand up as like, no, I know I've been here since the beginning or I have more say, no, you're not voting member of the board. You're not the president and you're not yeah. the founder. No. Yeah. So and that can be and that can be really difficult because you put your heart and your soul into something. Yeah. You know, and you want And then I'm grateful it's still operational, you right. know, and that is providing those services and I was able to mend that friendship, but I had to learn that lesson like, nah, this isn't yours. Yep. And again, like going back to the not taking it personally. You know, mm -hmm. and you have to you have to just accept like, oh, this really sucks. Let's see if we can make it work. If we can't, you know, I'm not gonna let it. I'm not gonna let it affect me because my life is more important than than this thing affecting me. 
um, and, and, you know, live and living it well. Um, and so with that, thank you for sharing. That's always the, that's always the most <laughs> difficult part of this whole, whole, whole process, but don't worry. I want to get to a highlight. I want to get to a point because when, when people, especially, I know I'm personally know a lot of people who have, um, who want to, want to do something good in the world and they want to maybe start a business, but then they're like, I really want to do nonprofit work. And then I talked to them, like, you know how difficult it is to run a nonprofit. I'm like, are you ready? Do you know how to run a nonprofit? And they go, no, not really. I'm like, okay, then that means you should not start a nonprofit right now. Um, but I want it, I want it to, you know, ex- see that, see that low. So that way, you know, we know that those exist. Let's feel them. Let's breathe through them. Let's let them go. And then let's celebrate a high. Like what's, what would you say like throughout your career is a highlight where you just felt on top of the world. And I want you to take us through that whole story of, of how that happened and just how that felt and what that meant to you. Right. Well, it definitely popped right out to the forefront of my yeah. mind because okay. um, it wasn't too long ago at our Kindness Fest, which okay. is our nonprofit collaborative yeah. fundraiser. Awesome. Go ahead and Google collaborative fundraiser and see if anything comes up. I'm pretty sure we're, we're, st- <laughs> we're starting something here where they're like, don't do that. People don't do collaborative fundraisers. But we did. Okay. So basically, I mean, to start start back at the beginning, um, I do with Shine San Diego. It's Shine with a Y. Mm-hmm. Um, I teach the entrepreneurship, business, nonprofit development to survivors of exploitation and human trafficking. Mm-hmm. And so I've built a network um, with these businesswomen of nine survivor-owned and operated businesses. Wow. Um, and so through that, we have our nonprofit partners. Mm-hmm. And so doing these classes, it was like teaching them about board development, teaching them about marketing management, teaching them. And then kind of like their final was to host a fundraiser. Okay. And it was last year up in Oceanside called mm-hmm. Kindness Fest. And um, so it was a music festival with art and this is where they really got to come together and collaboratively design it and execute it. Right. And it was incredible. We had roots, rock, reggae, we got great, you know, publicity on it. And the food was amazing. The art was amazing. And really for me, the highlight was to see these women come together and do Mm -hmm. what essentially the world has said, you can't, you're not going to be able to do that, that, you're too broken or you're not smart enough or you haven't had, you know, it's like, no, here Mm -hmm. we are. We stand proud in this moment. And I mean, just the donation items and the people there and like, I'm standing in this, like, Oh, this was a vision that I had. This for is a my long vision. time, probably, <laughs> right? Um, it was a part of the initial vision. It took me about eighteen months to get there, so I moved yeah. pretty quickly. I don't. Yeah, I don't... yeah that's that is that's that's really quick. Um... <laughs> I don't mess around. <laughs> I've been doing this no, a while. Um, right. I just it was about embracing my own vision as opposed to mm-hmm. being behind others, which actually yep. is my vision. Yep, it's kind of funny because it's like what I essentially do is support right. their vision. Um, and like you said, provide that structure. So, mm-hmm. you know, here we are at Kindness Fest and this, you know, kind of really cool outdoor venue with, you know, reggae and, mm-hmm. and this cute little coconut bar and <laughs> our soul teas and everything. And I hear Taisha Harvey on the microphone, like, okay, everybody attention, like I need your attention. And she starts to say, like, you know, we wouldn't be here without this woman tonight. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, I'm like, she might be talking about me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, that feeling. You're, listen. You're, like, you're like trying to remain humble, but at the same time being like, I deserve it. <laughs> no, I was really surprised. I wasn't expecting that. I was like, oh boy, I'm I'm so behind the scenes, girl. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> just, um, even this conversation is like, oh boy, okay, I'm out in the forefront right yeah. now. Um, but so I, I go over and, you know, I'm listening and Taisha's talk. She was 17 years in the life and you can go to TaishaHarvey.com and, and see her, her whole, you know, profile and story and, and video. She's an incredible human um, and mother and, mm-hmm. and leader. And uh, she, she, there she is on the microphone 
And she's like, you know, without this woman, we wouldn't be here tonight. And because of her, we've all come together and we've been able to create this thing. And, and, you know, she basically looks at me with tears in her eyes and she was like, and she is the first person who has not made me feel re-exploited since I left the life three years ago. And I just got goosebumps again, dude, like that moment. Oh my gosh. That's what this is about. That's <laughs> that's this. That's incredible. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's I yeah. mean, and that just that I mean that that's so much proof on like the work that you do, right? It's like you you cannot at all twist that into a, a way of saying that like, oh, it's not really me. It's not really like I you know, I'm not that big of a deal. Like that's just solid proof that you are actually making an impact and you're actually yeah, changing. Like the world would be why. Yeah. That's my why is I've been in the system mm-hmm. long enough working in the system and foster systems, social systems, veteran systems. Yeah. I've been in systems. And so when I see the system overlay their solutions onto this social issue, I was mm-hmm. really aware of the exploitive nature of the system. Yeah. And, and it's, the system is, is structured that way. It's not necessarily their fault that they're bad people that have to have, you know, people tell testimonies that they can raise hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's mm-hmm. how the system is. <laughs> yeah. But that person that's standing on stage that is sharing their, their story and their trauma is not right. doing that for your hundred thousand right. dollars. They're doing that to change the world. Yeah. And that there is a compensation for that and that there is a recognition for that and that those individuals are given their mm-hmm. rightful standing yeah. in, in, in this arena is right. my mission and vision. Yeah. I'm going to be a disruptor for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely, that's a great word. I think just looking, I mean, just even just meeting you for the first time and then looking, you know, and I was saying like, okay, like what, who is this person? Like, I want to get to know them. I would definitely use the word disruptor. I, I love that word for yeah. you. I mean, that's, that's incredible. I think those moments are so important because I mean, for anyone listening who wants to, you know, who wants to have that is that going through that low makes that high seem impossible. And then having, and like just seeing that that high has happened, you know, to so many people, I just love highlighting that dynamic between the two. Um, Cause it really proves that you, you, you're going to have both all the time, constantly, um, this just make those highs worth it. Right. Um, this they really make them impactful. And so I yeah. want to, I want to switch gears a little bit talking specifically about nonprofits. Um, because I've never, so you're, I think you're the, the first guest I've had that actually specialize that or even is associated with nonprofits. Um, I, uh, someone might correct me, um, because I need to look through my backlog. I've interviewed a lot of people, but, um, I'm pretty sure. And so I wanted to really take this opportunity to pick your brain around, nonprofits and around um around um uh work in you know um good good work in general and i kind of want to if someone is was looking to start a nonprofit what are different aspects that you would that you would um look into um that you would look into to see if their idea first of all is, is viable and then whether it can actually actually have an impact not necessarily just break even but actually have a real impact what are some of those factors that you look into yeah. So if I understand the question right, you know, a person's showing up and they have this great idea yeah. and they want to start a nonprofit yeah. and they're like, let's do it. Right. <laughs> and so, yeah, typically in a, a profitable, um, on the profit side, we're going to look at, is that idea profitable? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> but over here, it's like, what indicators that it's a good idea if we're looking at nonprofit? Cause we don't necessarily see that as, as income generating yeah, exactly. revenue generating. Okay. So I guess that's like get to the first disclaimer is that like you can make money in a nonprofit. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and the idea um, in the beginning is, is not so much about the idea. It's about the idea of person. Mm-hmm. It's about their passion and their drive and their determination and their circle of influence. Mm-hmm. So, you know, your idea is going to change, I think, over time. Um, it might mm-hmm. start out you know, as very general and have to get more specific, Mm -hmm. but I can tell you what I did when I started shine, because Mm -hmm. that's probably what I would recommend for other people to do. (laughs) And I wasn't going to just come in and, and then, you know, start uh, teaching survivors 
career and entrepreneurship development. That was not my intention. Mm-hmm. Although it's my my background and my skill and my expertise, mm-hmm. I really showed up on the arena to survey who's providing what services. So the first thing I did is I I looked at every single agency in my area that was providing a service to the demographic that I wanted to serve. Okay, great. So whether it's homeless or for me, human trafficking. Mm -hmm. And then for six months, I went and met with every single CEO and I had lunch with them or I talked with them on the phone and I asked them critical questions. Mm -hmm. Asked them, what, what do you do? What services do you provide? I created like a spreadsheet with all of that. <laughs> um, with my contacts information, I started going to these, um, you know, group meetings, community meetings and meeting mm-hmm. everybody and putting them into my data sheet mm-hmm. so I could see a gap in service. And so after six months of doing that, there was legit nobody providing employment, career or professional development which I didn't know going in and I found really interesting. So then your idea is already like, okay, well, I can't deny that. Plus Mm -hmm. you ask critical questions like post-program, what services are provided? You're trying Mm -hmm. to find out where you're going to be the best fit. And Mm -hmm. if somebody else is doing the same thing that you want to do, I always suggest that you volunteer or partner or collaborate as a a a new nonprofit, the almost the worst thing you can do is be out there on your own because you don't have any financial legitimacy Mm -hmm. or any track record so you're going to need partners Mm -hmm. you're going to need people that have long-standing um viable organizations in the community that can either co-sponsor you in the beginning Mm -hmm. or or maybe even sponsor you, so yep. you don't have to become a nonprofit. Exactly, because none of you are in com- competition. So because there's no, yeah. there's absolutely no competition, then you can, you know, you say, oh, there's a gap in your service here. I want to, pro- I want to help provide it. We are a nonprofit. We're new, but here's right. here's why I can do this, and basically give the pitch of like send of, of referrals of like send people to me, and I can provide this specific service that you can't. Right. Um, and or of course, and I'll probably be happy to do that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you can fund yourself. So you the thing with yeah. nonprofits is that like, there's a resource bucket and there's yep. only so many resources in that bucket. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people trying to get to it. So the competitive nature of nonprofits are, is even bigger. The other piece, though, when you're even considering becoming a nonprofit is people, it's a nonprofit corporation. So okay. you are a corporation from the beginning, which means you have a board of directors, like Mm -hmm. those traded on the stock market. (laughs) (laughs) You are a full fledged corporate corporation. Mm -hmm. So you have board members, you have board meetings, you have Robert's rules of law. Like you have to follow so many things. This is not like a sole proprietorship or like a nice little GP on the side. Yeah. Those, those, um, entities, um, have less security, Right. Mm-hmm. But the nonprofit right. is for the tax identification piece, yep. right? Is to yep. be able to elicit that. And it's been interesting in the current climate to see, you know, more people want to become nonprofits because they want to do, they see so much going on in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of our social issues are being exacerbated and heightened by the COVID situation. Yep. And, um, you know, we really start to see like where our weak spots are and, and health systems, mental health and, mm-hmm. and, and health health systems. Right? right. So there's a lot of work to be done on very limited resources And the fastest way to move is to get a fiscal sponsor. So I always suggest somebody find a nonprofit, Mm -hmm. let them sponsor you and your program is like one of, and then you beta test it essentially. You Mm -hmm. kind of see like for the first year or two, is this going to catch? Is this going to be something that I can show traction on Mm -hmm. and then become your own nonprofit? Because there's so much to manage. Yeah. And that's true. I mean, I've been involved, um, in several nonprofits, uh, one that never got off the ground. They went through all the tax thing, um, all the tax uh, forums. They got their board of directors. They had kind of an idea, and then it just 
it just never it never got off the ground because they didn't have no no one in no one within it was actually willing to lead and like actually do the run to the work of getting it off the ground and so it's very interesting um getting um actually actually partnering with another nonprofit that will sponsor you and that in your experience are are large nonprofits willing to do that um oftentimes or like how difficult is it to actually attain that yeah. So for somebody like myself, I mean, I can only speak to my experience and right. I'm okay. so resourced yeah. and connected in the nonprofit right. arena. Um, but you know, it, 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 there are things that are, are brewing up around that. You see it in the tech business where it's like, come here to find your business partners. Mm-hmm. There's some stuff around that, you know, where people are looking okay. to partner on these projects because the two things you need is leadership and you need financial backing mm-hmm. and the most successful nonprofit that, I was blessed to help launch, you know, we had a financial backer of 300,000 a year for the first two years. That helps a lot. Like she just wrote that check. Right. Yeah. Like (laughs) you can do so much. Yeah. That helps a lot. (laughs) With 300,000. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And because that person believes so much and, and I have, you know, traditionally, started nonprofits that are way out in the woo woo field, like, Mm -hmm. you know, not your general type of nonprofits that are providing shoes to the homeless or, you know, food to something specific. Yeah. We're doing like aquatic body work. (laughs) (laughs) And that's awesome. Like that that fills niches in the market, right? Because you know, you present and that, and that there's, you know, there's pros and cons. People are to- like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and, you know, then you've got to like get with John Hopkins University and quantify data and like set up those tools, right. which I was blessed to learn how to do. You know, wow. a lot of the stuff I've learned along the way and just like picked up along the way because it was out of necessity. Mm-hmm. The other thing I'd say in anything you start, you are everything. So be prepared to take out the trash. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> right. Yep. And show up to the business meeting with the suit. Like you got to be able to do it all. Right. And exactly. you know, it takes, yeah, a Jane of all trades or Jack of all, mm-hmm. you know, to, to really pull off the first couple of years and know how to surround yourself with a good team. Yeah. But and- as far as, Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. As I say, as far as finding a fiscal sponsor, it is a liability to that organization. Of course. Yeah. If you're your own entity, so it's better for you not to form a nonprofit. It's better for you to approach them as just a program or like Interesting. a okay a, a sole proprietor. You know, maybe you want to get your your DBA. You're right. doing business ads, and you mm-hmm. want to start to establish that, but you're under them, and then they're paying for the insurance, they're paying for the attorneys, they're taking on the liability, they're yeah. doing the financial management costs, and you get to run the programming. They are looking for those community partners, we would call it somebody that helps to, to lighten your load and like take on those contracts, but are they hard to find? Yeah. You've got to know people and it goes back to relationship building. Isn't that working? Oh yeah. It's a key to every kind of business. (laughs) Everything. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we, (laughs) we met in a networking group. That's why this conversation is happening in the first place anyway. Um, exactly, and that's why I mean that's why I love going to, to networking groups, and I'm sad that I mean obviously we can't have physical ones right now, um, but it's still it's still just I miss it a lot of just being there with people and talking and getting to know each other, and then being like, oh wait, you do this, wait, you have this experience, wait, let me ask you this about this, and just learning and growing together. I just I love that whole aspect of it. But it's funny. So you mentioned surrounding yourself with good people, and you you got ahead. You must have ESP because you know it's right next on my on my list. I wanted <laughs> to ask you about that because, um, in this case, and and there's a couple of different facets to this. Uh, I want to get to, but first of all, I, I want to kind of ask um, when you're bringing people on to um uh, onto an uh, onto a nonprofit, what are different aspects that you look for in them, and what's what like when you're when you're interviewing people how do you, how can you kind of tell if they're a good fit or not for the organization? Um, I, well, it's different with your board of directors and your employees. So oh, true. Yes. So specifically <laughs> with the board of directors, um, I do sit on a board of directors for neighborhood house association. Okay. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with I've, that, I've heard of it. but they're about a hundred million dollar operation. So okay. <laughs> we've got, did not know that. <laughs> Yeah, we provide, um, you know, 30 programs throughout San Diego County. Mm -hmm. 
um, for over a hundred years. So well-established. So what we're looking for in, in that culture, right, is, is there's a process in place. And I, I always, you know, meet with people and say, well, yeah, what is that process? Like, how do you want to onboard people to your organization? What is a good fit for you? And I think it goes back to those guiding principles. Like if you have at the beginning, you know, I'm looking for somebody who is going to inspire community to show up at events because we're doing rallies and that's what we need. Then yeah, mm-hmm. you need to find that person and you need to trust them. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, if it's a financial piece, like this year, we need to do a big fundraising event and we need somebody that has some financial um, and fundraising background. Yeah. You're going to want those skill set. But do they meet your guiding principles? Are they somebody who like ours has authenticity and integrity and really believes that those who um, have come out of exploitation can lead, like Mm -hmm. truly believes that, right? Like they've got to embody sort of the principles that you've set forth in the beginning. You can find somebody with the skill. Um, and you can also train people mm-hmm. and, you know, for, for those that are running small startup, you know, just getting into it, it's all about trust. So sort of the story that I tell people is mm-hmm. like this, everybody can come over to the party. Everybody mm-hmm. can come over and you guys can chat and we can have this conversation, Luke, and I really like you and mm-hmm. you really like me. And I know that I have an open board position, right. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking for somebody, you don't know that, but I know right. that sort of like dating. Mm-hmm. I don't invite everybody upstairs. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and it's really, it takes that time. And and only a few people, you know, get to that level of trust because a board uh, for nonprofits are the owners of the nonprofit. Yep. Whether you're the visionary or not, you only have a vote mm-hmm. <laughs> in a board that's, you know, maybe there's five or seven people, they own that corporation. You don't own it. That's a lot of trust. God, it's a lot of trust. And yeah, not everybody gets invited upstairs. (laughs) I'll come over for dinner. (laughs) Yeah. And and I think that's that's a really good um, aspect to hit. I'm glad you brought it up. Is that whenever, like, and when you're forming that group, a lot of times people reach out to their friends, reach out to people they know and be like, yeah, okay, I think this will be good. I think this will be fine. And, and just kind of like, and have that initial trust. And like, you need to, you need to trust them with your vision of what, of what you want this whole project to be. Like that's, you're not trusting them with just being a good person. You're trusting them with following this vision. And I'm really glad you hit upon that because it's, that's a completely different level of trust um, than versus just being a decent person. Cause a lot of people are, most people are just decent people. Um, but you want, it's, it's a much bigger thing than that. Um, I'm, I'm really, yeah, I'm really glad you hit that and bringing people. I want to quickly also um, go over like bringing people onto your team, whether it's, especially even just like volunteers, do you say no to volunteers? And like, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And you know, the screening process that we use at Shine um, includes our survivor advisors screening, you know, so there's a three process, three part process Mm -hmm. in this, you know, um, entrance into the screening of how you're going to become a volunteer. Mm -hmm. And you know, the thing with volunteers, we love volunteers, but volunteers are, are, they're showing up when it's convenient. Yep. Right. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They're not very reliable. Yep. yep, yep. <laughs> All the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it actually takes a lot more to manage volunteers than okay. your board, which is volunteers as well. Right. Um. So I would make a point with with the the board of directors who you're asking, make sure that you're upfront with them about how much time a working board needs okay. when you're starting up in those first few years. It's a lot of work, and people think, oh, you like you'll just no, it, they're going to need to know up front. This is like an hourly or 10 hour yeah. a week commitment from you. And then with volunteers, you know, I, I kind of screen them through these bigger events before they come in close working with us. But we have mm-hmm. safety things in place because of the nature of the work that we do. Mm-hmm. We have to have a lot of more. Course. Um, yeah, there's a higher level. Yeah, mm-hmm. a higher level of, of mm-hmm. protection for the clients that we serve. So um, so they, they've got to go through the screening process, but I found it to be really great. Like you do an interview, you do a zoom like this, where you get to see each other face to face. Then you sort of have a sit down um, with one of 
for us survivor advisors or a, a, a client or somebody that's going to be in the impact population that mm-hmm. you're working with and get their feedback on it. So it starts to feel like, oh, this organization's serious. Right. Because I'm looking at it from the volunteer. The volunteer is showing up and yeah, you know, some people really like structure. Mm-hmm. I let everybody know, like for us, there's no, like you don't have that in startup. Right. Yeah. <laughs> We're no, kind starts, of flying by yeah. the seat of our pants yeah, right exactly. now. Yep. If you need structure, you might want to go over there. Right. <laughs> and I direct them to that person and I do a really good handoff and say, hey, right. here's a volunteer that I think would be great for your organization mm-hmm. and, and I'm sharing them with you. But ideally when you're starting out, managing three volunteers is like a lot of work. Yeah, I bet. Um, and exactly, because there isn't there. The only commitment is their level of passion for the for the organization. And then if yeah, something but- in their life comes up, then that immediately takes priority because they're not losing. The only thing they're losing is maybe that sense of, oh, I really wanted to help somebody. You know, they're not necessarily losing a paycheck, which is infinitely, you know, it's, which, you know, drives people a little bit more. And that's, that's actually, that's actually, yeah, that's really good advice with that. And I wanted to make sure we had time. I did want to do my due diligence and I did want to do my part in actually talking about traffic, talking about human trafficking. And I wanted you to kind of give us maybe an overview for people who aren't aware of the severity of the problem. And what, what are some actions that we, anyone listening can actually take to do something about this problem? Okay. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you very, um, very good intro into, yeah, the world, the underbelly of the mm-hmm. dark commercial sexual right. um, industry here in San Diego. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I can say in San Diego, we're 10th in the nation. Um, so we're a, a hub nub. People mm-hmm. think that it's cross border. It is not. Um, mm-hmm. It's primarily domestic. So, eighty percent right. of all trafficking is being done on the, you know, United States soil. Mm-hmm. Um, things have shifted a lot lately. So, we're, it's going to be interesting to see what the numbers are right. with so much of. Uh, the internet being available now to mm-hmm. um, 11, 12, 13 year olds at home mm-hmm. in the current climate. But uh, prior to this, the average age of entry is 16. Mm-hmm. That's the average. So yeah. as young as nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like to be really honest with people about that. Like that's a child. Yeah. Um, and, they uh, are under the age of 18 and cannot consent. Yeah. I mean, and that's why <laughs> um, it's such a huge problem. And that, I mean, that's why personally too, I, care a lot about this subject um which is another reason i wanted to have you on because yeah it's when i first heard like all these numbers and and just the severity of it i was completely blown away and i was really just kind of horrified that i never knew yeah and i you know it's it's so it's such a vast topic and so mm-hmm. i'll just you know there are like 16 different ways that i have found in my research that people enter into the the sex industry Mm -hmm. and you know financial is at the top there is a financial need somebody's either looking for a job they're looking for a modeling career they're looking Mm -hmm. to you know be an actress they want that fame that celebrity that fortune um and those are the vulnerabilities that the traffickers prey upon Mm -hmm. So um, it's a it's a very uh, organized criminal network. So mm-hmm. I think that's important for people to understand as well. Right. And that like most of the 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 pimps or the traffickers are mm-hmm. somebody that the person knows yep. or is married to or dating. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So this is a this is something that it really comes close to home. You know, they have these like shows where they oh somebody's getting picked up you know, in a van and thrown right. in a van. Like, right. I think that's like 2% or something. Wow. Um, obviously, there's a lot of drug addiction that can, you of know, course. feed into that as well. Um, strip clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, I work with a lot of um, survivors that are out of um, international cults, religious cults. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, wow. So that's, that's I can only imagine. That that's, yeah. I can only imagine what they were going through on top of being in a cult. Yeah. Right. It's this mental uh, manipulation that the traffickers are very good at. And I think yeah. as this topic comes out more and as we start to have conversations more, then the victims don't feel as like 
stupid that that happened to them. These yep. are not unintelligent yep. individuals, um, men and women, you know, because mm-hmm. there are men as right. well. These are people I have known that have gone to college and went to like an interview mm-hmm. to become a model and filled out the the form the um, w4 form that had all of their identifying information including their parents information that the trafficker then used to hold them yeah to do to do certain things like yeah. i know where your family lives and then yep. they can threaten them with that material so it's not like they were stupid right. they right. were exactly. in a situation where it was like they really didn't know how to get out of it yep. for many years mm-hmm. and it's um it's a very much alive and real. I had a phone call this week from a woman that in May um, was jogging and, you know, gentleman approached her and said he needed help to get out of human trafficking, that he was being trafficked and needed some help. And she wanted to help him oh. and had ended up giving him like $1,100 to help with his, you know, travel and rent and to get yeah. away. And then somehow he's living with her. Right. And now she's got a four-year-old son and it's just like, it's like boiling oh, wow. a frog. It's like, they yeah. get a little bit more and they get a little bit more. And so yeah. she's calling us creating an exit plan mm-hmm. and an escape. And it's only been two months. Wow. I mean, it can be wow. that quick. And this is yeah. a, you know, adult with, <laughs> with a child mm-hmm. that likely the child is who the trafficker is going after, you know? Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> it's, it's, it's a very um, complex system. And here's what I'll say. Mm-hmm. I do not have the answer. <laughs> yeah. I honestly yeah. do not know how to solve human trafficking, but I know who does. And it's mm-hmm. those who have been trafficked that got themselves out of it. Right. So I invest in them. Mm-hmm. They've done it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they come from various backgrounds. Some come from pimping and pandering, like I said. Some come from, you know, international cults, others. It's just such a big range. And so we need that many solutions. You know, yeah. each of the women have their own story and their own connection point. And men as well. The men who mm-hmm. have come alongside connect with the men who can now talk about it. And it's this whole notion of like we've we've all heard yeah. of AA, right? Where it's like the person who's been through it can help support the person coming out of it or coming through it is mm-hmm. the best support. Mm-hmm. And I'm finding that to be true. And I'm finding these women to be absolutely brilliant. They are launching a safe house in Temecula later awesome. this year. So they have collaboratively created this program and I am just beyond thrilled to see what else they're going to design Mm -hmm. and come up with for their community as an economic source Mm -hmm. for those to come straight out of trafficking. Because that's the biggest issue that we see is um, if somebody is in the life and they want to get out of the life, how are they going to make money? Right. Exactly. And then working through all that. And and thank you so much. I'm always, I'm a big fan. I don't sugarcoat anything. I'm like, something's a problem. Like when I talk about mental health, I'm like, it's a problem. It's, it's, it, by sugarcoating it, we do not help anybody. We're hiding ourselves from truth. And I do not like hiding, hiding truth. Um, so I want to thank you so much, um, for guiding us through that. And so I wanted to give, you know, some resources for anyone listening. Um, I tell us, where to go, what to do, um, how can we start, you know, in making a difference? Yeah. So I just, there's a whole spectrum within um, our group. So if, that, if somebody wants to get involved from anywhere from street outreach and exit um, all the way up through full self-sufficiency, they are welcome to contact me at shine, which is S H Y N E S D for San Diego.org. Um, the house that's coming online that if people want to get involved with, you know, helping to get that home ready or providing, you know, meal supports or any Mm -hmm. of those kind of, you know, supportive program pieces Mm -hmm. that's with victory garden sanctuary.org. Incredible. Um, they're listed on my website as well. I have all of our nonprofit partners listed, um, at shine. And then, you know, the other piece is just get with your policymakers, you know, get to know 
the district attorney, go meet with the mm -hmm. council. San Diego city council is actively involved in wanting to come, you know, and, and get more solutions around this problem. Mm -hmm. And I think just, you know, if you want to get into the legislative side that we really need that piece, we are at the beginning of a movement that requires certain definitions to be in place in order to affect greater change. Mm -hmm. And just like we changed the foster care system and now right. kids can stay in the system until age 24. I was a part of that reform and that wow. took yeah. youth council leaders and, you know, those mm -hmm. individuals showing up at those meetings to really advocate for something to be done. And that's where we yep. make the lasting change. So yep. that's an important piece as well. And, and people that want to do that type of work, I would send to Marjorie Saylor, um, her nonprofit is the well path wow, and path, she awesome. is somebody, um, as well as Jessica Kim who have done the legislative work, um, as survivor advocates and speaking up and telling their stories. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. And, and those links are on, so shine with a Y sd.org. <laughs> and then on network, there's a, the links you talked about all on there. Um, you can find if, if somehow you're confused, you can go to the show notes at cwcpodcast.com. Well, that's just another website to remember. And you can find all, all, all of Cynthia's info uh, on there. Um, thank you so much for being on here. Is there like a final word or saying or something that you want to really close us down and send us off um, with? Thank you, Luke, for having me. This has been wonderful. I just want to thank you for taking the time to let me you know, be featured on your podcast, number 133. That's <laughs> yeah. exciting. And um, my final thing is like, yeah, you know, let's build this network of survivor advised, owned and operated. Like yeah. they are the ones to lead the way and trust that survivors are capable and intelligent mm -hmm. and creative and just truly the leaders of their own movement. Yep. That's what I'd like. Yep. I, I love that message. Do not discount survivors. Um, they have experience beyond anything you've uh, you've had. And so they have a lot, a lot of value to give back to society. Um, and the yes. fact that they have survived shows the absolute just, just, yeah, it shows that they have a ton to give and, and promote that and help them with that. If you happen to know somebody. So thank you so much, Cynthia. This is, I, I want to talk to you for another like four hours, all about <laughs> nonprofits, about what you've done. Um, and so, but unfortunately this podcast is only about an hour long. So <laughs> maybe we'll have to have you back on then sometime if you're willing. Um, but again, thank you for all of those looking for the show notes that cwcpodcast.com. You can find all the links to stuff we talked about, um, all this stuff to share um, there. And of course, do what you love. And remember to always stay on the positive side of things. Oh, <laughs>